0: Today on Mark Summers Unwraps, we have Mark Victor. We discuss putting yourself out there. I was always in the background as like, I'm the producer, I'm the producer. But as a real estate agent, if you don't let people know that you're around and that you're available and this is what you do. they
1: will move on to the next person. They'll move
0: on to the next person. Producing live television. It, listen, it was 24-7. Yeah. As you remember, we all had beepers. Yes. And lying. You got to do it. Can you do it? Absolutely. <laughs> like I said, at that age, like you just... You say yes to everything and you
1: figure it out. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Mark Summers Unwraps. Uh You have to be open-minded to be adaptable to today's world because it's all different. Uh, I remember walking into meetings where people would say, how come you don't have more followers on Instagram and Facebook? And it's like, really, is that necessary? And, you know, sadly, I guess it is in today's world biggest challenge for me is um the technology for my money it just gets more and more complex and i always say you know you got to carry a 12 year old around with you um the other day i got back from vacation and i wanted to download pictures from my camera to my iphone and my ipad and for an hour i followed the instructions and i couldn't do it and I just get frustrated because I think I'm doing everything right. Apparently, I'm not. And so you start to say, well, I'm getting old and, uh, you know, I, I just can't do this stuff anymore. And, and I don't want to be in that place. I want to be able to do what needs to be done to stay current and be adaptable. But sometimes it's just not that easy. Hi, everybody. We're unwrapping a gentleman today who I just met and yet I feel like I've known for ever. Mark Victor is with us, and you're saying, "Well, gosh, I've heard that name. Maybe I've seen it on the screen." But who exactly is Mark Victor? Well, uh, he is a gentleman who has been producing TV for many years. Uh, the Today Show is uh, where I think we initially met uh, briefly, and uh, and now he's got a whole new career, and that's what we want to talk about. So, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. This is great. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, I have this theory. I had a cousin in Toledo, Ohio, who was a multimillionaire, and he was selling annuities and things that I don't even understand. And one day, uh, our lovely U.S. Congress decided to stop uh, allowing whatever it is he was doing, and he he lost everything, okay? Didn't put money aside and lost everything. And five years later, he made it all back, okay? And my theory is that if you're successful once, you're going to be successful no matter what you do, okay? So you're a guy from Chicago, correct?
0: Correct. And I went to uh, school in Ohio, the Ohio State University. Wow. What, <laughs> that,
1: one of the largest universities.
0: Were you involved with going to football games and all Football that? games, fraternity life, the whole thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The Midwest, uh, me being from Indianapolis, uh, all my cousins went to Ohio State or Indiana University. Uh, the Big Ten, the rivalries there are, are unbelievable.
0: In- so, incredible. Yeah, it, it was so much fun.
1: So your dad did what for a living?
0: So he owned a company called Victor Supply Company. It was a janitorial supply, third generation uh, business. And it was great. My brother and I used to work there sometimes during the summers, help out. But my brother and I always knew that that, you know, and there's nothing wrong with the career or the profession, but that wasn't for us. So my brother wanted to become an attorney. So he became an attorney, and I had this idea that I wanted to be in the television business because uh, I went to Deerfield High School, a suburb outside of Chicago, and I took a class, and it was a television class, and I fell in love. And I was like, This is the greatest thing ever. We made videos. We uh, produced TV, We, we had our own little studio at the school, and I fell in love, and that was it.
1: Well, growing up in Chicago, it used to be a major hub of first radio and a little bit of television. Bozo's Circus was a big show.
0: Huge. That was the biggest thing I was on. I wasn't a guest or anything like that, but I was in the audience, which was amazing, and that was... Big in Chicago. To you be, had to get a
1: ticket. To go to Bozo was a
0: huge, oh. huge deal. <laughs> I,
1: the, one of the deals was that when your kid was born, you ordered tickets so that by the time he or she was six or seven, they could actually go was the story.
0: Yep. And um, I grew up in Highland Park, but Deerfield's right next door and Bo, the one of. I don't know if this was like a rumor or not, but everyone used to say, oh, that's Bozo's house. <laughs> that, that, that's where Bozo lives. Yeah, it's some Bozo. There, anyway. Yeah,
1: exactly. And then there was, I think it was Don McNeil's Breakfast Club came out of Chicago in mm-hmm. a big hotel there. And it, it, it was a hub. Wasn't Paul Harvey? I think he used to broadcast out of there as well. And and so um, you get this love, this passion for television. How old are you when this happens?
0: So I'm a senior in high school, so about 17, 18 years old.
1: And you say to the parents,
0: so, yeah, so, I mean, out of, so I went, so once I fell in love with television, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what my major is going to be. So I went to the Ohio State University, was a journalism major. Mm. And so I was in broadcast journalism, which was like amazing. During college, I ended up working for ABC Sports Monday Night Football. Doing what? As a runner. So as a runner, you you go to the airport, um, you meet Al Michaels- uh, you, you know, Dan Derdorf, oh, man, the whole team, and you pick them up, they get in there, there weren't like the big uh, SUVs then, it was the limousine, you greet them at the airport, you get them into their limousine, they may want to know what the scores are, some of the other games, all that stuff, so you're fine, there was no internet back then, right. so it was a much different thing, but you'd have those, that information for them, get them in, and then during the games, you'd have a job, either you'd be in the truck, and you'd call, you know, there's a flag on the field. So you'd be a spotter for the director or you'd be in the booth and you'd make sure that they have their favorite candy. There used to be for Monday Night Football, there was a blue screen behind them. And we would have to iron that before the show. <laughs> so it was all those kinds of jobs. And it was a runner, but it was an amazing job. I, I think, think I ended up getting $50 a day and then I got promoted and got a raise to $75 a day. But the job was incredible. We had all the hats and jackets and pins. And I would do... I missed a lot of college because of that, but it was an amazing opportunity. I would do a college football game, and then I would do a Monday night football game. Was Olmeyer directing then? He wasn't doing that. He wasn't doing Monday night football at that time. At that
1: time? Yeah.
0: So how did you get that job? Uh, Listen, you know what it's like in the business. (laughs) You have to do what you have to do. So... I was dating, who's now my wife, who I met at Ohio State. She lived in New York. I went to go visit her. Someone told me about the Monday Night Football stuff and who to contact, this guy named Fred King. And he uh, was in the office on the West Side at ABC Sports. And I just, um, I think I just went to the building. And said, I'm here, I want to meet with him. I'm here for, you know, for ABC sports. I want to be a runner. I'd like to come up. And he let me up. And he met me and I ended up getting the runner job and did a bunch of different games (coughs) for ABC sports and Monday night football and college football.
1: Did you feel like you had died and gone to heaven at that point?
0: Yeah, it was I mean, listen, I'm not a huge sports guy. So I play sports, but it's not like I'm not the guy that knows every fact and and stats, but I wanted to be in the business. And someone told me about this. So I was like, great, let's do it. So I showed up, they fell in love after the first job. They're like, we want, here's a bunch of different games. Can you do this? And I did it. And we used to, me and some of the other runners would drive. I knew some people that lived in Ohio since I went to the Ohio State University. And we would drive like seven hours, six hours, whatever it took to get to the game and be there to work it, which was amazing. How long did you do that? So I did that for about... I think two or three years while I was in college, I did that. I also did, um, I ended up getting a job for the final four in New Orleans. So to be a runner for that, because the runner thing, they were always looking for runners. So it's like you pick people up at the airport, you take them here, you do this, whatever you have to do. And you were able to meet the big wigs while you were doing it. So it was a great opportunity. So I did that throughout college as well as... Being, as you know, and, you know, probably I'm sure you did like an intern at your local station, you know, in the sports department and, you know, doing all those things, whatever you could do in the business to get experience on your resume. And I was and it just made me feel like there's no reason why I shouldn't be in the business because I was doing all this stuff on the side.
1: So you graduate from Ohio State. What's your first real job in the industry?
0: Let's see the I ended up getting this was another one of the stories I ended up getting. My friend, uh, Barry Posnick. You know Barry Posnick? <laughs> you know Barry, right? Of course, everybody knows yeah, Barry. Yeah, so Barry was a producer on The Joan Rivers Show, yeah. and Barry knew Barry knew one of my fraternity brothers from college, and I was saying I want to be in the TV business, and I was so naive back then that I was like sending my resume and cover letters like five months before I graduated for a job, thinking that they're gonna wait for Mark Victor to give me a job. (laughs) So all of a sudden, I'm getting all this mail back at my apartment in Columbus, Ohio, from Inside Edition, from hard copy saying, sorry, we're not interested, sorry, we're not interested. But I was doing it thinking that they hire five months in advance, but you know what it's like. They need someone, they get someone, and that's it.
1: You walk in that day.
0: So my friend contacted uh, Barry, and Barry's like, "Oh, I think um, they may be hiring at the Montel Williams show." Oh my! So, at the same time, through ABC Sports, they connected me with ESPN Sports Center in Bristol, Connecticut. So my mom, who's amazing, she we drove from Chicago to Bristol, Connecticut. Stop there for my interview at Sports Center. And
1: by the way, Bristol's in the middle of nowhere.
0: There's a there's like a well-known elevator company across the street <laughs> where they test elevators yep. to see if they're okay. But yes, in the middle of nowhere. So I end up in Bristol, Connecticut. I go in for the interview. You need to have sports background. I worked at ABC Sports. I had an internship. I, you know, did all these things. I was referred by ABC Sports. So great. I'm in you need a journalism background. Great. Amazing. Check, check. And then they're like, you need to take a test. And that's where they're like, you need to take a sports test. No. Yes. And it's just a verbal test. And they're like, okay, where are you from originally? Chicago. Okay. We don't want to know anything about any of the Chicago teams. Let's talk hockey. Let's talk football. Oh my. Let's I would have talk- failed. Yeah. So it got to the point where it was like, I didn't know it. I walked out. My mom's like, how'd it go? I said, not well. Oh, man. She's like, okay, next stop, New York. We get in the car. We drive to New York. And we drive to the Montel Williams Show uh, office in Times Square. And I, I don't have an interview, so I just show up. I'm like, I'm he- here to meet, uh, I think the woman was Mary Duffy. I don't know if you know oh, Mary. Oh, yeah, I know Mary. So Mary, meet Mary Duffy. So, she used uh, to do uh, Sally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then she ended up at CNBC. So yes. I ended up going to that office. They're like, sorry, you don't have an interview. Yeah, but I know Barry. I know Mary. Like all this kind of <laughs> stuff. They're like, sorry, you don't have an interview. They, I gave them my... I don't think I had a cell phone at the time, but I had um, my hotel number that I was staying at. Right. They're like, sorry, she can't meet you right now. And I kept on calling. Finally, they called me back. They said, you can come in at five o'clock. I came in at five o'clock and I thought I I had all these articles that I clipped for a PA position to say, here's a great story. Here's a story idea, pitching the whole thing. They said, sorry, we don't have any more PA positions open they're like but we do have a travel coordinator position i go travel coordinator and they're like yeah you're in charge of the guests travel making sure that they're that they get on their flight that their car picks them up at the airport that everything's okay It happened to be that my mom was a travel agent. Oh, man. So I was like, I I made it up that I worked in her (laughs) office and I was all about travel and finding the best fares. Yeah, you got
1: to lie in this industry. Exactly.
0: So I was like, that's so crazy that there's a travel job open. That's my passion. That's what I love. I help my mom. So they were were like, oh my God, this is amazing. They contacted me right after, called me in the hotel room, and they said- "Um, you know we'd like to hire you. Can you move to New York in a month? And this is like right after I graduated wow. from college. So and of course and I think my I think my I think they had offered me I was going to ask how much. I think they offered me I want to say $500 a week, which wasn't horrible, and then they realized that they made a mistake and they contacted me saying $400. Oh man. And I was so confident at that time and felt like I was like the best person for the position because of it. the travel and TV, and that they wanted me that I said, I'm sorry, I can't move to New York then because I can't afford it. Right. And they said, okay, fine, we'll keep the $500 a week.
1: Even then, it wasn't easy to live in New York at $500. Oh my God, work.
0: forget about it. My yeah. parents were helping me out with my studio apartment that was, I think, $700 week on 76th and 2nd next to a place called Moe's Caribbean that had like uh, I, I lived at 56th
1: and 2nd. I know exactly where you are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And so, you know, the story is so true of all of us who have the passion to be in the industry, but it's not that easy. I remember once when I first got out of college, I thought I wanted to move to Phoenix. Why? Well, I have no idea. And I went and met at the CBS affiliate. And uh, I said to him, if you're looking for a stage manager uh, and and the person leaves today, would you hire uh, me or the person uh, who sent in the resume? And he opened up a drawer that went from here to Chicago with a thousand resumes. And he said, if I need a stage manager and you walk in the door, I'm not looking at one of those resumes. I'm going to hire you. So the timing aspect of this thing is so important. But the passion and the connections and the lying, which, you know, God knows, yes, I helped my mother in the travel industry, right. whether you did or didn't, makes no difference. You sold him on the fact. So- that must have been a miserable job, by the way, uh, booking those people and doing that.
0: Yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh, it, listen, it was 24-7. Yeah. As you remember, we all had beepers. Yes. So uh, it was more about, I was constantly, I mean, listen, my parents, like I was telling you, like my dad told my mom at the time, you, he has three months- to, you know, do this TV dream, try to get a job. And if not, then he needs to get a real job. Right. So when I moved to New York, it was kind of like, wow, you know, we're setting you up in New York. I hope you succeed. If you don't, you need to come home. So it wasn't like my parents were going to just, you know, be like, oh, the job didn't work out, but stay in New York and see what else you can get. I was on the next flight home if that didn't work out.
1: What year was this?
0: So this was, uh, nine, uh,
1: Ninety-three. Nineteen ninety three, yeah. Ninety-three. And so uh, I had friends who worked on all those ridiculous uh, talk uh, shows, and they said the people were, you know, why isn't there a refrigerator in my room, and how come I don't have, you know, vodka in the refrigerator, and uh, wanting to change flights, and uh, wanted a white limo and not a black limo. Did you deal with all that silliness?
0: Everything. So my pager was nonstop, but I didn't have a choice, because it's like I knew that either I'd was succeeded at this yeah. or or I went back to Chicago right. and my dreams were over and and that was it. So I knew I had to succeed. I worked seven days a week. I was the first one in the office. I was leaving Times Square at like 11, 12 o'clock at night. Yep. I was on beeper, but I was happy because I was in the business. Living the dream. And people wanted to get in touch with me. So even if they were those people that yeah. you're talking about, yeah. which they were, <laughs> um, you know, they've never been on a flight before. They have never been in a car. They didn't know how <laughs> they, they, they were never picked up in a car. You're dealing with the drivers. Did they get in? Did they really get in? Is the whole family there? Is it just the husband? Is it the wife? The yeah. producers are calling me saying, did the guests make it? What's going on? Are they okay?
1: Do they have teeth?
0: Exactly. And, <laughs> and that's really what it was. And it was really, it was a crazy, crazy experience. But what you realize, and as you know, in the business, if you can do that-
1: You can do anything.
0: You can do anything.
1: How long did you do that?
0: So I did that for six months because if you remember, the talk show business took off.
1: Yes. Exploded.
0: It was insane.
1: Everybody had a talk
0: show. Everyone had a talk show. So- I then received a call from someone saying that they were looking for an associate producer at the Jane Whitney show. Oh my. So I was like, great. So I met, and that was produced by Warner Brothers, which was Telepictures. So David I'm Saltzman, like, I'm the probably. travel coordinator for six months. Sure, I can be an associate producer. And and when you're young, that confidence is like amazing. Yeah. You're not, you're not like I don't know if I feel comfortable. Like as you as you get older, like you start being like you start thinking about things. But when you're young, you don't think. And you don't think you're no. like associate producer. Yeah. Of course, I could be a producer. I could be running the show. Like that's how you would. That's how you. That's how I would think. And that's how people think at that. I don't age. even remember that
1: show. Jane Whitney.
0: So Jane Whitney had a, like a local show. I think. Out, I think out of Pittsburgh or something like really? that. Really. And then Telepictures brought her in and out of New York out in new york and made it into a syndicated show it didn't last but of course like probably the ratings were like four
1: yeah like a You'd four or five. For the yeah now, right? exactly
0: yeah which was like insane and then after that they brought in uh Carney wilson oh my so uh because uh they kind of saw her as ricky lake because ricky lake took off it the show became the hugest thing yeah. it was a whole do- different demo so
1: did you do Carney? So I did Carney. Hal Grant, my friend, directed that show.
0: I know, Hal. (laughs) Hal, He's from Pittsburgh originally, isn't he? Yeah. I I think he might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) Hal, uh, great guy, like amazing. So yeah, he was the director on that. Yep. And then that ended up getting canceled because Carney, who I still talk to, is like great, but it wasn't really like her thing. And it was like a lot of stuff going on and a lot of guests. So it didn't really work out. I think it got canceled with like a three sum rating, which was like amazing. And we were I think our lead-in was um Regis. Oh my. Yeah. So like that was like the lead in, so it was huge. That ended up getting canceled. Warner Brothers then brought in a woman by the name of Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, I remember her. To do to to do a show. <laughs> Did and you it, work on Rosie? No. So at that time, and it goes back to being young and confident and maybe cocky. So they came in and they're like, and I, I eventually became, I I was like, oh, I've been being an associate, I've been an associate producer for what, like nine months. And I'm like, I should be a producer. This is like ridiculous. I should be running everything. And they, and they bring in this woman, Rosie O'Donnell and the EP interviewed me and they're like, listen, I know you want to be a producer, but we need an associate producer. I'm like, I'm a producer. So I was like, I'm not taking an associate producer job. Like there's no way. And then Warner Brothers connected me with um, the executive producers in Chicago at the Jenny Jones show. Oh, my. So I ended up going there. You went
1: to Chicago. So you're home.
0: Exactly. So I was like, this would be great. I could live in Chicago. I ended up living in the Gold Coast in Chicago. Oh my God. And it's like on Dearborn and Elm and you move from New York and you're like, I can live like a king. You're like right by the water. Parking spot is like $150 instead of $450. Apartments are like, and this was an expensive apartment, was like $1,200 instead of like $3,000 at that time. So move there. And then I was there for like three years. Wow. See, and- a
1: nine 11. I'm in Chicago getting ready to go on Jenny Jones and I'm watching the today show. And I see the first plane go into the building and then the second plane and Matt and Katie were like, Oh my God. And the phone rings and they said, we're not shooting today. I said, yeah, I, I, I kind of figured that. So as you remember, all the planes, everything was shut down. And, uh, Jenny Jones show kept me in Chicago for at least a week, uh, took care of my hotel, my food, everything. Um, they couldn't get an air, uh, reservation cause planes weren't flying at the time. All the Amtrak, uh, stuff was booked. So I ended up doing the show a week later. They paid me, they gave me an office while I was there and they rented a car for me to drive from Chicago back to Los oh Angeles. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember, uh, that, that whole situation. So so the question becomes and I love the fact that you know I'm 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 a producer I'm not an associate producer you right. weren't, weren't given up how would you make it to the today show from there
0: So I'll this this is a long story but I'm going to make it a little shorter okay. so
1: as I, a good producer would Yeah
0: exactly <laughs> I um I ended up moving back to New York my wife who's originally from Long Island uh wasn't loving Chicago uh-huh. she was just like ah it's good she had some friends there from New York But she wasn't loving it. She felt like she was missing out New York. So I was like, okay, great. I have some opportunities in New York. So we'll move back to New York. Of course, as soon as we move back to New York, she's like, oh, I miss Chicago. It's like, okay, well, now we're back in New York. We're done. So I ended up working on the Maury Povich show. Oh, wow. And so that was for like five years. Were they still
1: doing it in New York or were they doing it up uh, in Connecticut or something no
0: so this was in New York York York. at uh across from Penn Station okay at the Pennsylvania I think it was Pennsylvania Hotel it was like a total dump yeah um the rats ran the place oh my god everything it was like one of the only hotels that they allowed like all the when people came in for the dog show they would all stay there with their dogs really and it was just crazy but yeah but Maury is amazing and he's an incredible talent and so smart and really really good guy. So I was there and that was I think Studios USA that then became Universal, <laughs> then then became NBC Universal. <laughs> and so I was there and then was an executive producer there and then also became an executive producer for another show called Home Delivery that we developed and it was about changing people's lives. It was like extreme makeover home edition. But in syndication, traveling all over the country and we had these talent going to people's homes, knocking on their door, making a difference, finding out what their backstories are and really, you know, giving them things and doing things that lasted for about a year. And I had an overall deal with NBC Universal. So then my first experience out here was in L.A. Um, They're like, well, you could either sit at home for two years or which our personalities, even if you're getting paid. Doesn't, doesn't really work. work. It's no. like I want to be doing something. What can I do? So they connected me with this guy, Ben Silverman, who had <laughs> yeah, a real who had a reality show on Bravo called Blowout. Yep. And it was with this guy Jonathan Anton, who owned a hair salon in Beverly Hills in West Hollywood. So I was like, reality TV, great. Here I, can I do come. Oh <laughs> uh, great. Amazing. Can you do it? Absolutely. Like I said, at that age, like you just you say yes to everything and you figure it out. But, you know, that's that's the theme in life, I think,
1: you know? It is. People are too cautious and people in our industry just go. I always say when I lecture colleges, you got to learn to lie. You just mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. and and pretend that you can do anything. Exactly. You know? and, no ev- is, and eventually you figure it out. Yeah. No is not an answer. It just doesn't, you know, it doesn't work.
0: Yeah. So so to to say how I ended up at the Today Show, I I was in LA, did blow out for one season Came back, my executive on that show was a guy by the name of Andy Cohn, of course, right? (laughs) I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he was just, he was a Bravo executive, you know, overseeing the show. Came back, then they said, oh, you want to do another show in LA? And my daughter, my second daughter was just born and I was like, I can't go back to LA and not be with the family. This is crazy. So I ended up... One of my friends was at the Today Show. She said that they're looking for someone to like help out because someone, I think, had left on maternity leave and may not be coming back, and I, I met with the executive producer, and I had an overall deal, so they didn't have to pay me, mm. and I like grew up watching the Today Show, so I was like, this is cool. So I met with, do you remember Jim Bell? Of course. So Jim and I met, we hit it off. I ended up helping with the nine o'clock hour on the Today Show. So what year was this? So this was in, I'd say like 2004, 2005. Okay. I end up helping with the Today Show, the third hour. My deal expires like six months later. And as, we, as I was saying how confident I was, I went to them and I was like, hey, listen you know, my deal expired or it's, it's, it's coming to an end. So I'm going to probably go back to reality. I mean, I like it here, but like, I don't know what your plans are, but you know, and acting like I have all these opportunities and everything going on when really I had nothing, zero, zero going on. But you're always
1: in demand if other people want you.
0: Exactly. So, (laughs) so he said, no, 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 we want to keep you. We want to keep you. And I was like, okay, great. And at that time I was doing the nine o'clock hour and also, they needed help with booking the show, and they didn't have, like, a centralized booking department. They just had, like, producers booking breaking news. So, I put together a booking department. Ah. And Who was hosting
1: the 9 o'clock hour at that point?
0: So, with that, it was Al, it was Al Roker. At that time, uh, Matt and Katie were hosting the show, and they would stay for, like, before... It'd yeah. stay for the first like five minutes, right, and then we go leave. to commercial, right. and then we leave just to fake out the audience to make it seem like <laughs> it's an extension of the Today Show and them. Right, and then and so they were there, and then Al was doing it, and then we had some other talent in there. But then eventually we ended up getting Natalie Morales oh, right. uh, from MSNBC, and then eventually Savannah Guthrie Came in, was like it. from DC. So. I said, okay, my deal's up, I'm doing the booking department, I'm doing this. They knew that Katie Couric was leaving and they were concerned because everyone was like tied, like the whole Today Show is going to go away because Katie Couric's leaving. Right. I didn't know that she was leaving, but they knew that. The executives knew that that was it. She was done. So they were concerned and they didn't want to make any changes. And they ended up giving me a great deal. And I ended up being there for seven years.
1: So what makes a good producer?
0: I mean, someone who is really organized, who really thinks something through, and someone who really wants to get the most out of the talent and the content. And I think that that's the most important thing is that you're really like looking at the big picture and saying, how can I do this differently? How is this going to be a great segment? How is this going to be different than the 20 other segments that they've done before? Right. And, you know, being a guest on the show yeah. and what you can do and, you know, you would probably walk off and say that was a great segment yeah. or that wasn't so great because the talent didn't really let me be me and didn't listen to me what I was saying and react to what I was saying.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Various talent. I, 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 this person will remain nameless, but uh, I was supposed to do a segment on charcoal and barbecuing. And the whole thing was that uh, Henry Ford and uh, Thomas Edison, I think, uh, originally started uh, the charcoal briquettes as we know them today. So the talent on the Today Show was supposed to say, "Mark, tell me a little bit about the history of uh, charcoal briquettes." Instead, she said, "Mark, is it true that Thomas Edison and Henry Ford worked together uh, to make charcoal briquettes?" Where am I supposed to go (laughs) go from there? And uh, you know, when you're doing live television, which I love more than life itself, if you have a camaraderie. Katie trusted me with everything. Matt trusted me with everything. But the people on the next tier down were always trying to make their mark to prove to the producers, exec producers, that they could be in charge. And I used to hate those segments. And there was one person in particular who remain nameless. And I'd say to the uh, stage manager, who's doing my segment with me? And they'd mention the name and they'd say, you have my condolences. <laughs> 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 because it was just difficult at times. When you're brought on as a guest, you're brought on to sell your jellies and jams and and, uh, inform the audience. But if the person who's interviewing you won't allow you to do that, then you get into, forgive me, a pissing match. And I'm not going to sit there and fight with a a man or a woman who's been hosting these shows for years. I'm just not going to do it. So it it can be awkward, as you know.
0: Yeah. And a segment that you're doing is more informational, fun, lighthearted. So- it's not like they should try to be making the mark on that segment. Yeah. if it's a newsmaker and they want to get a certain story out or ask a certain question, that's a whole nother ball game. But for someone like you, it should just be fun, easy, and I've been a broadcaster. A I've been doing segment. this forever, you know right Trust me. Yeah. Uh, I've
1: been you know, it's just it's just unbelievable.
0: So you did that, what 20
1: years of your life as a producer?
0: Yeah. so about 20 years, I had a production company after that at NBC called Tomorrow Productions Off of the Today Show. And you know, and then I started seeing the business changing.
1: Yeah, because I, you know, next thing I know, I see that you're out in California. Yeah, and you're in the real estate business. Yep. And so, I've been following this for what you've been out here a couple of years now, at least. Yep. And I thought to myself, how did this happen? Tell me about this transition. Was it done on your behalf? Did the network finally say we've had enough of Mark Victor? Tell me the story. How you've become one of the top real estate uh, professionals
0: here in Southern California. Yeah. So I can't, I originally came out, I've always wanted to come out to LA. I love LA. I used to come out here for business all the time. And then I ended up getting a call from Fox television for a syndicated show mm. to come out here to be a showrunner. So I was like, great. Amazing. I'll do that.
1: Gets me out of here.
0: So yeah. So it gets me out here. I love it. The weather's incredible, better than New York, as we're seeing in New York right now mm. with uh, what's going on there. It's unbelievable. Um, so I came out here and I, uh, started a show, put it together. It was called top 30. It was like 30 stories you need to know, you know, it was kind of like that digital type show. On television, as every executive's like, "What are we gonna do? How are we gonna get eyeballs?" Oh, it's a digital show for TV. That'll work, you know, all that stuff. It
1: never works. So,
0: <laughs> so you 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 drink the Kool Aid, you, <laughs> you you buy into it, you feel like you're doing something special and different, and the way that syndication was show was set up was much different than other syndicated shows because we were on a crazy budget. You know, because which of, means no budget exactly. Correct. Which yeah. the mo- that's the model now. It's yeah. like, how cheap can you produce a show yep. and get it on five days a week where we could then make money or at least not lose money? And so we did it for a year. Fox was happy with it. And then we did it for I think another four or five months. And then I was getting like a weird vibe from my executive of like, Hey, what's going on? And he used to come by all the time. Then he wasn't coming by. So you get that producer gut feeling of like, what's going on? I should be looking. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then he came in. He's like, hey, listen, we're going to cancel the show. But the company loves you. We love you. I love you. We want help with the news, our local news stations. So it's just like, you know, I did news. It's not like I'm Mr. News guy. I love more entertainment based, but I'll do news but they wanted to go, you know, do more on the local side, which the yeah. last time I worked in a local station was when I was in college. And... As you know, what it's like in local and the budgets. And I the never res- worked in local TV. Oh, you never did. I never
1: did. I, I was a magician on a kid show in Indianapolis on WTTV, but I was one of those ridiculous people who moved right out to Southern California and started working in the industry. So um, I have no experience in local TV. I just hear the stories of friends who have done it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's a different world. Yes. And uh, when I go around the country doing personal appearances, and there's robotic cameras. And there's, you know, one person there running their own teleprompter as opposed to years ago when there was three camera operators and a stage manager and all this other stuff. It's like being in a library. Yeah. I couldn't do it. it.
0: It's totally different. I then, so I I was like, all right, I'll go in, I'll consult, I'll help out. So I like helped out. And then before I knew it, I was there for like almost maybe like two and a half, two and a half years, like almost three years. I'm like, what am I doing here? Are you miserable? Yeah, I mean, it just wasn't who I was. I brought in some talent. Like I brought in Dr. Drew Pinsky mm-hmm. to do a show while we were working on. That happened during COVID. So he was involved in that. Um, this woman, Michaela, who used to be at CNN, we brought her in for the morning show. So I was like dealing with some of that stuff, but it wasn't great. I didn't love it. And I was like, you know what? I want to do some other stuff. And at that time I ended up uh, working with someone and we were pitching shows which i know that you do and that you've done and and that whole thing and we had a bunch of different
1: world being on that side of the table isn't it yeah
0: so it's just like so pitching the shows and we had like one deal at one studio another deal at another studio but no money coming in but no money coming in and everyone's like we love it it's the greatest thing and like you're waiting and waiting and then something happens and they're like oh now we're going in a different direction we're done and it's just no way to live. But back in the day, having a production company and developing and selling shows, as you know, yeah. was you very could, profitable. You could make a nice living. You could make a nice living, and people were buying, and no one was. None of the executives were scared no. about what they were buying, and now nothing rates. So it's well,
1: plus the conglomeration. Everybody bought up everybody else, and there's like you know three companies that own everything, mm-hmm. and they've scaled down the budgets to you know we want the same show. For 20% less on the budget. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, how am I supposed to do that? And the answer is figure it out. Yeah.
0: It it, it doesn't make, nothing makes sense anymore. And when I first, when I worked on Blowout on Bravo, that's when cable, if you remember when cable first took off, Yes. I was doing all these other syndicated shows and no one cared. And then I did Blowout on Bravo and everyone's like, oh my God, I love that show. And that was the time that I think our lead in. Or the show after us was Queer Eye. Oh. And that was like the hugest hit ever. And yeah. that's when cable just exploded. Explode.
1: But what was your budget on Blowout? Do you remember?
0: I don't even remember, but it was it was pretty good. It was pretty healthy. When
1: we started on Double Dare in 86, we started at 9000 bucks an episode. Oh, my then God. Then we went to $12,000 an episode. Right. And when we got into syndication, we were spending $50,000 an episode. And Nickelodeon MTV were losing their minds that we were spending that much at right. that point uh-huh. but now you know <laughs> to get anybody to spend i don't know the budgets uh, have gotten so small oh,
0: it's it's insane it's
1: insane and they want you to. and the other thing like in the game show world which is i'm probably most familiar with uh when i first moved out to los angeles in 1973 and you said you wanted to be a game show host you could actually do that but then movie stars started hosting game shows and unless you have this gigantic TV queue or you're a really famous person, you can't even host a show
0: anymore. That's exactly right. You gotta be famous to be on TV. Right, now the networks are like, we want to be in bed with this actor for a scripted series, so what we'll do is we'll throw them a bone and give them money to host a game show. And we'll do a development deal, but they'll get x amount of dollars now so it's every comedian it's every actor it's every movie star
1: they all have production companies
0: and so they're getting as you know all that money from it's their production companies doing it they're getting their talent fee well then
1: the, the sports people got involved so now every major basketball player baseball player football player has a production company yeah you know i guess strahan sort of started that whole thing off Oh my off. god he's killing it he's killing it you know and you know who's uh, spectacular? Uh, Nate Burleson on the CBS uh, uh, Morning Show is is doing the same. So these guys, you know, so it makes it difficult for normal folks like you and me to actually go in there and, you know, either get a producing job or a hosting job because we're not famous enough anymore. And when kids say to me, how do I get on TV and do this stuff? I say, sadly, you got to be famous to get on TV now.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's so difficult. So I saw the writing on the wall, and I also ended up getting a lot of phone calls from people that were my age. And younger, saying, "Can you help me out? Can you get me a job? The business was changing yeah there there's no real you know, and I was getting a lot of staff jobs and and even the offers that I was getting for those jobs i I could see the writing on the wall because it's like, I'm making x amount of dollars here. then you get another job and you're making a little mm-hmm. less, then you're getting a little less. and when you're younger, all you see is growth, yeah. And you're like, wow, I'm making this, now I'm making this, I can make this, I can make that. And that's what the business was like. And now it's like, how many people can we get in there? How, or how how few people can we get in there? And 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 how much do we have to pay them? We wanna pay them nothing, nothing Yeah. to get it done and less people to do the job. And it doesn't, and, and all you, as a producer, all you wanna do is do a great job. And all you wanna do is throw everything at it. And then you realize you don't have a budget to even do that. It's just about getting it on the air, which so isn't fun.
1: The big show business days are over with when it comes to money. I think. I think that you know, be able to come out and be a local talent, a la Letterman doing the weather in Indianapolis, or or Sajak doing it uh, wherever he was in Nashville, I think, or Chicago. And then hosting a major show. I just don't think that's possible anymore.
0: Yep. No, I agree. 100%. And that's why I went into real estate. So tell me,
1: (laughs) why do they tell you uh, to take all your personal pictures and things down when you're coming to show a house?
0: Yeah, because you wanted to declutter the house and you want to make it seem like it's, that you could picture. So you're the buyer walking in. You want to be able to picture this house being your house Mm. and that it's like simple and plain and not. Oh, there's someone else and their dog and their kids. And now you don't feel like you can see yourself in that home. So you really want to make it. I mean, we stage homes too, which. Let's talk about that.
1: So that's a big business now. People spend like huge. I I have a friend who's got a a big place in New York and to stage, it was like $150,000 to make. And it was a big place, but you know, he had, he had to do it. Um, You know, I, is it worth it when they tell you well you should should you uh, you know change your bathroom should you change your kitchen what things should you do to spruce up your place to move it faster
0: Yeah so staging definitely helps yeah. because uh, some people don't have great taste Yes so their furniture could be really dated and it could, and the way that they decorate the house, there could be areas where you could have a table, but they don't have a table, or their table's too large. And now it looks like there's not enough space in the kitchen area, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. So the staging definitely helps, and it looks new and modern and hip and cool. So it takes like even an older house makes that, it look and that makes much better. it better. Yeah, exactly. And it also opens it up, so you'll do furniture that's not so large, so the space looks even bigger. So there's, you know, you'll go into these houses that are staged and it won't be like a king size bed. It'll be a queen bed. Right. And you or go, a like, oh, how f- big that bedroom yeah, is, right? Exactly.
1: So, so there's like, tricks, but but let's talk about the people who can't afford to stage it. What can they do to improve their place to make it move fast?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's decluttering the house. So it's getting rid of all these pictures all over the house that, you know, people don't love to walk into someone's house and see all these pictures of like the family.
1: Should you paint everything white?
0: So painting definitely makes a difference. I just was in um a house the other day and they had a bunch of accent walls which were like navy blue mm-hmm. which really made it dark. Yes. So, painting is huge. If you if you make it white, it looks great. And it's also, you know, we'll tell clients to store some of their furniture so so it's not so clunky. So they may have like a couch and then Four chairs or five chairs. Get or, those chairs out of there. Yeah, like, let's get those chairs out of there. Maybe we'll do maybe one or two items that we can stage in there instead of staging so much because it's so expensive to mm. stage. Um, and then and then the other thing is, you know, definitely we always say, like, we don't want the, them to be there during a showing, especially if it's like a pocket listing or sometimes they're like, oh, do you want me to stay it's like, no, it's okay. Why?
1: Why don't you want the the person in the room? Well,
0: because there's 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 a couple things. Sometimes it's like they're so passionate about their house that they'll want to walk around with you and tell you, oh, my God, we redid this bathroom 15 years ago and we used the best this and the best that. But at the end of the day, that person doesn't care. Right. And they're going to redo the bathroom anyway. Or someone's like, you know, they'll say something that can be insulting to that person.
1: Obviously, if I come in and look at a house and I go, that kitchen really needs to be redone. You don't want the owner there at the time going, right. what do you mean it needs to be redone? Right. You and know? things
0: that can be done are like flooring could be done, which makes a huge difference. Yes. You know, get rid of the carpet, put a floor in. Could, you know, there's definitely ways to do it so it's not so expensive. So sometimes
1: if you spend twenty-five or $50,000, you get that back on the back end big yep, time. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like if you, have, if you have a kitchen and... Maybe you can paint some of the kitchen, maybe even paint the count, like maybe paint the cabinets mm. or even put in new appliances. So now they see stainless steel instead of white or black appliances. So that can make a difference as well.
1: It, it's such an art. Uh, and yet uh, during COVID, uh, people, it seemed the homes were moving like crazy at insane prices. Things have calmed down a bit, I think, because the interest rates are higher. How much does that affect your life when interests go to six, seven, eight percent? Yeah, so
0: that definitely affects it. I mean, what we're seeing is five million and below are definitely going quick, and you're still getting multiple offers, especially in the $1.5 to $2 million range. And which is crazy to say because I'm from Chicago, but entry level yeah. house for a couple getting married could be like 1. $1.2, 1. $1.5, 1. $1.7, $2 million. So those people are looking because there's some kind of life change. They're getting married, they're having a family, they're moving from a smaller house to a bigger house. So p- those people are still moving because they need the room. Um, there could be a death, so someone's selling. So all these like life factors are making people sell or buy. But inventory is extremely low right now because no one's selling their house unless they have to sell their house. So if, if you, a lot of these people are sitting on two and a half, three 3% interest rates that they're paying for their house, why would they then move to another house and for, pay 7%? Yeah. Why? It's like double the amount. Why would they do that unless they have to leave or if they have the money or if they're paying cash?
1: First house, I bought a condo in Chestworth, California for $80,950. And I remember going to the staged, uh, you know, one that they were showing to sell places. And when we moved in, you know, none of that stuff was there. It was just this empty place, and I remember doing the inspection. And I said, Oh my God, uh, this isn't exactly what I thought. And he said, well, I remember I had no money. And he said, what do you expect for 80,000? <laughs> that was like all the money in the world to me. Right. And then we, we moved to a house for 95,000. We sold the eighty thousand nine fifty for for 105,000. I remember. Then we bought a house for $95,000 in Van Nuys, California, which I should have never bought. It was up against a shopping mall. Don't even ask. And, um, Interest rate went to 16, 17%. And I oh wanted to get God. out of there more than life itself. And I couldn't give the house away. And when it finally dropped down to about 10 or 11%, we sold it for 105 and, and got out. And I remember I bought a house in um, West Hills, California, and it was $180,000. The next step up was 192. That's the house I wanted. I didn't have the extra money, couldn't do it. And uh, I was doing warm ups on uh, soap and Allison, and I lost every job I had. And I had to come up with $40,000 for a down payment. And I, I just thought the whole world was going to cave in. Somehow I got the money. Oh, you know how I did? <laughs> after was really nice. I couldn't make payments. And after actually forwarded me money for a while, uh, oh, wow. which was insane uh, to make that happen. The union really came through big time. I can't thank them enough. Uh, but back then, you know, you spent 80, 90, $100,000 for a house. Uh, when you first, you know get married or, you know, with a couple of kids, the $180,000 house, those homes are now a million dollars. How do a 26, 28 year old couple, how do they afford these things? You got to come up with what?
0: Two, $300,000 just for a down payment. Yeah. No, uh,
1: unless you have rich parents, I uh, guess. You
0: see a lot of that too. A lot of the parents are giving money, which is nice if you can do that. So, and then, you know, then there's out here, there's a lot of successful people. There's a yeah. lot of money.
1: Howie Mandel for his uh, daughter's wedding bought her a house, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I good for them. You know, it,
0: it's the biz, it, It's the biggest transaction of your life, buying a house because mm. of how much money it is. So that's why you do want to make sure that you're with someone who's trusted, someone that you feel comfortable with, someone who's going to represent you the right way, and that everything's going to go smooth.
1: So, given a choice of being a producer or being a real estate person, which would you prefer?
0: I, I honestly, now I'm saying real estate, a hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. Cause what I've seen with the business, as you know, yeah. it's just changed so much and it's not what it used to be. Not fun. And, and real estate for my life now, I mean, I was doing the regular TV job. So I was doing like a, I was like a W2 employee in TV. Yeah. So I was early in the morning. And then leaving and then on call all the time, as especially in news, as things were changing, this, it's like I'm able to do and make my schedule the way that I want to do it. On weekends,
1: a, you're working weekends like yeah, crazy. Yeah, but
0: I'm a workhorse anyway. So yeah. to me, and and maybe this is just because I'm newer, but this doesn't seem like work. It's like, great. I'm looking at homes. I'm meeting with people. I'm having conversations. I'm setting up. Other homes I'm setting up new clients referrals all referrals, that stuff that's
1: what it's all about right it's
0: all about so it's like you want to do right by people and they and they'll give you the referrals and that's what I've seen and everyone told me it's like a little tree that grows it's like you do right for someone and you do a really good job and show them how great you are and all of a sudden the referrals is happening and that's what's happening I'm getting call after call after call this person you worked with this person you worked with we want to work with you. And, it, and it's great, but I'm hungry and I'm out there and I just keep on going.
1: And and how's your wife feel about the transition?
0: So she likes it. She she definitely likes it. She sees that I'm, I'm much happier than Good. just because the business had changed so much that it wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. You couldn't be creative the way that you used to be.
1: No. This has been a tutorial on, A, how to get a job uh, back in the day in television. I'm not sure it still works unless you're willing to almost pay them. Right. But it's also great to see a transition. And I'm always interested in this. You had another passion or you've discovered this other passion. I've always thought, what else would I possibly do? And I've never been able to figure that out. And it's, it's great and refreshing to see you so happy and so successful at what you're doing. And uh, I mean, what are your goals from here?
0: Just to grow the business. And, you know, and I think a big thing is to show my kids like, hey, listen, you could do one thing. And then you can pivot and make a change and also be successful at something else. So 100%. It's, it's like it's that and and to me, it's like building out this business. Like I just want to grow this business in a huge, huge way. So that's that's where I'm going with it. And I love it. And 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 it just it just works for me.
1: What advice would you give to somebody who wants to change their life like you did?
0: I would say make sure you're ready for it because it's not easy. It's not easy, and like you said, like it's going to cost you money yeah. to make a change because in your head, you're like, okay, I made X amount of dollars doing this, so all, you know overnight, I'm going to make that same amount of money doing this job, and that's not the case. You can't just start something new and assume that you're going to be at the top of the game day one. Yeah. So, A, have money saved up so you can do what you want to do, but make sure that you're really ready for it and the biggest thing is that you have to be all in which you know in the TV business we're multitaskers yeah so we're like I could do this I could do this I could do that but aren't you a multitasker doing real estate as well yes but what i'm saying is stick in stay in real estate yeah. and don't be like oh okay oh. I'm in I'm in real estate. But um, I'm also
1: selling shows on the side. Right. I'm selling
0: yeah. shows on the side. I'm doing this on the side. I'm doing that on the side. Be you all have, in. You got to be all in. And for people like us, it's hard to be all in because we think we can do everything all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the biggest thing that I learned. And just the, the other day, I got a call from someone saying, I'm thinking going into real estate, what advice do you have? And I do this, but I think I can do this and this. And I was like, I'm telling you, if you really want to be all in and you want to be successful, You got to go for it. Wow. Yeah. Uh,
1: Mark Victor, successful in TV, uh, now successful in the real estate world. I wish you continued success. I've learned a lot uh, about the transition, how to do it, uh, and how to jump, as you say, all in uh, if you're going to be successful. So uh, keep it going. Wishing you uh, continued success. Mark Summers Unwraps is a production of Believe Limited, created by me, Mark Summers, and Jessica Richmond. Produced by Keith Corneluck and Jessica Richmond. Executive produced by Patrick James Lynch and Ryan Geelan. Post-production support from Joshua Sterling Bragg and Believe Limited. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you really love it, why don't you leave us a rating and a review? Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Mark Summers Unwraps.